morning. It's definitely uh, another pretty day out, and it's hard on days like today not to have a smile on your face. It's days like uh, Friday when it just seems like the rain is never going to stop, that it's harder to have a good day, but the thing is, the grass is always greener after the rain, not before it. <laughs> So rain is always a blessing. Well, if you will stand with me this morning as we read from the word of the Lord to us this morning in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, I pray that we would see what genuine love to the world looks like. Father, it's not what many proclaim. It's not what many even in the church proclaim, Father. But it is faithful obedience to you and your word, faithful witness to what Christ has done in us. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to return evil for evil, but, Lord, to overcome evil with good. I pray that you would give me words for your people. Lord, I have nothing of myself. I need clarity and wisdom. Lord, guide my thoughts. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear your word this morning, that Our hearts would be attentive, listening, not just to hear words come in and go out, Lord, but to hear words that will impact us tomorrow, even as we walk out the door today, that our lives would be impacted by your word, that we would seek above all things, Lord, to serve you. We pray this this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Like I said last week, it is so much easier to love people who are like you. So generally, it's easier to love people in the church, but not always. There are always people in the church that you think it's impossible to love. But God has called us to love all men, and genuine love to the world is different than what the world proclaims, because we see many in the world saying, well... To love the world, then you need to agree with what they have to say. You need to be in line with what they have to say. But that's not what Paul is saying this morning. That's not what the Bible teaches. Our love for the world does not stoop to the level of sacrificing truth. It never has, and it should never be that way. But loving the world who hates God requires death to self and the indwelling of the Spirit. Because biblical love isn't easy. It is costly. It will cost you everything. Because it is in complete contradiction to what your natural old man wants to do. Right? When someone cuts you off, Or let's say you're at Walmart in the line for groceries and suddenly someone gets in front of you as though there is no line. I'm sure that's never happened to you. Maybe, maybe for us younger ones, you've gone to the theme park and you've waited an hour to get on this ride 
And then somebody comes up because a friend of theirs decided to save a space for them in line. That person was out having fun while you stood in the heat waiting for your turn. That's not really persecution, necessarily. But the point is, when we feel wronged, what is our response? Is it, oh, I'm so glad that you took my place. I'm so glad that you did that. No, our natural response is, oh, if I was Mike Tyson, I would have a piece of your ear, and then my, okay, maybe not. That, not, maybe not that bad. But that's how we feel. Inside, pride wells up and anger and our response is not love, but hate. And it's normal to think that way. So the world, when you don't do that, they look at you like you're weird, like you're strange. Messed up. But that's what Paul is calling us as Christians to do. He is not calling us to live like we used to. He's not calling us to live like the world. Instead, he is saying in verse 7, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Not just those who love you. Not just those who you love. But to anyone, this is not a negotiable, well, there's, there, it doesn't apply to that person. No, Paul is clear. The Greek is clear. Anyone. And when he says never, he says no one. That word can be translated. No one pay back evil for evil. So not a single person who calls himself by the name of Jesus Christ should be returning evil for evil. This is not popular. Not even in the church. It's because of passages like this that I am encouraged as a Christian to not pay back evil for evil. It's not easy. How many times have you been actually wrong because someone knew that as a Christian you wouldn't retaliate. Maybe in your business. Maybe in the street. They spit at you. They lie about you. They curse you because they know that you won't do anything evil back. And if you did, what would they do? You're not a Christian. You, you're just like everyone else. See, we knew it. You're a hypocrite. Like everybody else who claims to be a Christian. The thing is, Paul is not the first person or the only person in the New Testament to make these statements. If you turn and look with me at Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said exactly the same thing. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in verse 43 of Matthew chapter 5, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard that, right? It's love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That sounds really easy, right? Why? Why does he say that? He says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. What is he saying? God is not like you. Who were God's enemies? You were. I was. We were the enemies of God and God loved us. 
We were actively seeking to take down His kingdom when God sent His Son to die for us. We were His enemies. We weren't the good people trying to love our neighbor and to love our enemies. We were His enemies. And yet He loved us. And so when we live as Paul is calling us to, as Jesus is talking about here, what does it prove? That we were of our Father in heaven. Because this is how He looks. This is who He is. And to prove that point, Jesus says, For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. What's Jesus' point? Jesus is saying, look, if God, who is sovereign, who controls the events of the world and controls nature itself, if God is merciful, pours out His rain, gives His Son to the wicked and the righteous, that is a sign of God's love. God is merciful. Are we like our Father who is in heaven? Or are we seeking to pay back evil for evil? Because Jesus says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have in heaven? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? What's his point? Everyone loves those people who love them back. Right? You don't have a hard time loving people who love you. Even people who you disagree with. Especially in the family. But when we love those who hate us, that is different. That is a sign of sonship. And we see that. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father. Perfect. In what way? In loving our enemies. Because God loved us. We were the enemies of God. If you don't believe me, read Ephesians 2 by yourself. That's what it says. We were the children of wrath. What does that mean? We were destined for the wrath of God. But God in His grace and mercy poured out His Spirit and opened our eyes so that we could see Him. And this isn't the only place that Paul talks about this. He also says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15 and 16, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always Seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. It's the almost exact same phrasing there in verse 16 as we see here in verse 17. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. It's almost the exact same idea. We are to seek what is good for all. What is good to all. And then, if Jesus and Paul are not enough... What does Peter say? In his letter about persecution, Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, 8 and 9. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Inherit. What is that? A sign of sonship. 
We are children of God. And if children of God, then we share in His character. When people see us, do they see Christ? Do we, they see the Heavenly Father? Just like somebody looks at my children and they say, Oh yeah, that one looks like Megan and that one looks like Caleb. Right? It's the same thing, same idea. When people look at us, who, who do they see? What do they see? So Paul gives us this negative command. Do not, never, no one give evil back for evil. But then he gives us a positive command. In the second half he says, respect what is good in the eyes of all men. If you're still in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, he says, And keep a good conscience, so that in the things in which you were slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for what doing what is wrong. What is, what is Paul, what is Peter telling us? They are saying, look, the law of God is upon the hearts of all men. Right? Paul made that clear. Romans chapter 1. And though they may be hardened to sin, and their, con- and their conscience bears witness to the fact that you're doing what is good. They know what is good. They reject it, but that doesn't mean they don't know that it is good. So when we refuse to do what is evil, even when it is popular, encouraged, applauded in the streets, we point to Christ. We don't bring glory to ourselves because it's not applauded when we do what is right. When we choose to stand up for truth. When we choose to follow Jesus, it won't be applauded because what did Jesus say? They'll persecute you for my name's sake. Don't be surprised, it's going to happen. If they hated me, how much more will they hate you? In the church, we act like, we, we now, here in the U.S., we're shocked. Oh no, I can't believe anyone would hate somebody in a church. Why? Because we haven't lived in a culture that is pagan. It is becoming, returning, going to pagan. But we have not lived in a world like that. But our children, children will. Our grandchildren will because the direction that our country is going is not godly. God has shown grace to us. God has shown grace to even our country for many years. But we have continually rejected God. And because of that, we are seeing a return to pagan religion. Godless living. And this is just the beginning. Because when men reject God, all that we thought was normal will be labeled Wicked by men. They know it's wrong. They know what we are doing is good. Because it is not a surprise. They know that it is good. Because no matter where you go, all men know what evil is. Even in the deepest tribes that practice cannibalism... If you steal from one another, that is a problem. And it will 
ultimately lead to retribution or revenge. No matter what tribe it is, no matter what language, what island, what people, God has placed His law upon the hearts of men. And all men know what is good, but not all men believe that it's to be followed. As Christians, when we do good in spite of persecution, in spite of hate, when we return good for evil, it brings conviction to those who persecute us. Whether it brings change or not is not up, up to us. We can't change their heart. But I would much rather be persecuted for doing what's right than people using my wickedness as a means of persecuting me. If I am persecuted for doing evil, I deserve it, right? But if I am persecuted for doing what God has empowered me through His Holy Spirit to do, I have no shame. I have no guilt. So we are not only the negative of not returning evil for evil, but we are to seek to respect what is right in the sight of all men. Paul is not leaving out anyone. None of us have the ability to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. Because Paul is clearly saying this applies not only to you, but to everyone you encounter, even those who would seek to kill you. As a further explanation of this prohibition of not returning evil for evil, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So, we are to not return evil for evil. We are to respect what is good in the sight of all men. And we are to seek peace. What does that make you think of? Well, it made me think of Matthew 5, verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called what? Sons of God. Do we see a, a theme here? Do we see what God is saying? When we are seeking to be at peace with men by doing what is right in the eyes of God and men, you'll be called sons of God. Because no one can understand how you could endure such hatred. They'll say, that guy is different, that woman is different, that family, that church is different because they don't live like the world. They keep their word, even when it hurts. They do this, even though it is not to their advantage. They do what is right no matter the cost. They don't believe in situational ethics. I don't know if you know what that means, but essentially the, eth- the situation determines whether you're going to be ethical or not. That's how I define it, but God's Word is not based on situational ethics. God's Word is based on truth. And when we do de- determine to follow Christ, We don't get to choose which situation to apply these truths to. Again, Paul is saying, with all men. See that at the end? Seek to be at peace with all men. Not just some men. This isn't easy. 
Because some people are said, set on war. Right? I think back to the World War, World War II. Remember Chamberlain? He, he kept trying to make peace with Hitler. He, he, he kept signing whatever because he thought, well, Hitler, if, if we give him what he wants, he won't want war. They, Europe was already reeling from World War II. They, they, they were still suffering from the losses of life and, and finances and economic and food and all, all those things. And so he was seeking to be at peace. The problem was Hitler didn't want peace. He wanted war and he wanted war because he wanted to take over Europe. And he had much bigger plans than Europe alone. But Hitler was not seeking peace. He was doing everything he could to get what he wanted. And he was ready and preparing for war. And that's why... There are men like Hitler in your everyday life. Maybe not to the extreme of wickedness, outward wickedness, but there are men in your life, women in your life, who will seek to make war with you. And so Paul says, if possible. He's not saying it's always possible because some men will actively seek to be at war with you. But he gives us a caveat. He says, so far as it depends on you. So in our attitude, in our lives, we should seek to have peace with all men. We should do everything within our power to be at peace with all men. But it's not always possible. Why? Because sometimes people want us to compromise to the point of Not following Christ. Douglas Moo said this. He said, Peace peace with others should never be purchased at the price of our Christian conviction and witness. I think that's a really good way to see it, right? Peace with others should never be purchased at the price of our Christian convictions and witness. So we should, with all that we can, seek to be at peace with all men. But it's not always possible because our Christian conviction and our witness does not allow that. We'll not allow that because we are following Jesus, not the world. They're at odds with one another. So we will seek to be at peace, but we can't always be at peace. But... That also reminds me and should remind us that we have to go into conflict with a desire to make peace first, not war. In encountering situations where most people are coming in with the idea, I'm ready to make war, if you come in ready to make peace, you would be shocked how different The situation is. I know the difference because when I was younger, war was all I wanted. (laughs) Maybe not necessarily, but I wanted to win at all cost. I didn't want peace. I didn't I didn't care about peace. I wanted I cared too much about being right. Not that we shouldn't be right. But I didn't I didn't want to be at peace necessarily. I wasn't going into the situation. I want peace to come out of this. I went into the situation thinking, I want to win. But if we go in to situations, conflicts, with this in mind, Lord, help me to broker peace. Help me to make peace with this person or that person. As much as I can, Lord, I desire to make peace.
we are responsible for our own hearts. And if we fail to show ourselves to be peaceful, we, we disobey God. So we should seek peace with all men. And then in verse 19, Paul gives us another command. Never take your own revenge. This goes hand in hand with being a peacemaker, right? I had a roommate in college who he played football, high school, in college. It was, good. It was pretty good. But he was great at taking revenge. <laughs> Why? Because practical jokes... And taking revenge were all a part of the football ethic. So when he pulled a prank, you didn't know it was coming, and it was terrible. Well, it was terrible for you, but funny for your friends. (laughs) I won't give the case because it's kind of embarrassing for the friend of mine. But that being said, our world loves revenge. We think you should have revenge. The sad thing is revenge is not about justice. It's about getting back at someone, not about receiving them receiving justice. And that's why I believe Paul says, never take your own revenge. Again, a negative. And just like the previous negative command, prohibition, he follows it with a positive Leave room for God's wrath. Or leave room for the wrath of God. We don't, we don't take our own revenge. We let God take care of it. Because God will bring justice. Not clouded by anger, pride, what we think something deserves. And then Paul quotes, For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 32, if you'd like to turn there. In verse 35 he says, Vengeance is mine, and retribution. In due time their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near. And the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate His people and will have compassion on His servants. When He sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, and He will say, where are their gods? Who's He talking about? The enemy of God. The rock in which they sought refuge. Who who ate the fat of their sacrifice and drank the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. What is God talking about? In in Deuteronomy 32, Moses is singing a song. And it's not the kind of song you want to listen to because it's a song of rebellion. It's a song of prophecy. A song prophesying that the people of Israel will walk away from God. They will go to gods who are not gods. They will begin to worship idols. And so God is saying here, where, were, where are your gods now? Where's those rocks that you were trusting in? Well, what about the sacrifice, the wine, all these things that you're doing instead of worshiping me? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. See now that I, I am He, and there is no God beside me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. There is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, I sharpen my flashing sword, and my hand takes hold on justice. I will render vengeance on my adversaries, and I will repay those who hate me. I think this passage gives us a clear picture. God will take care 
of justice. Justice belongs to the Lord. We'll see God gives government to bring justice next week. Verse, well, not next week, but when we come back, verse in chapter 13. But God brings justice to all men, us, those outside of the church. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. It is His prerogative to take vengeance. Why? Because if men hate us, if men revile us, if men are seeking evil, why is it? It should be because we're doing good. Why? Because God has changed us. Because Christ has transformed us. We are now children of God. And because we're the sons of God, the men of this world hate us. So if they hate us, it's because they hate God. Don't take it personal when men treat you wickedly. They hate the God who you serve. They hate Him because He brings conviction. And then Paul quotes Proverbs 25. But if, you, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's what love looks like. Not burning coal. Not that we're trying to heap burning coals, but the point is... We are to feed our enemies. Think about David. When he was running from Saul, he, he, didn't, he didn't kill Saul when he had a chance. And he even was struck to the heart when he cut off a piece of his garment. Remember that? He, oh, I was so close to doing that. Paul did not want to, or, or David did not want to touch him in that way. Or I think of David. Remember he, he went, came back to Ziklag and had been burned to the ground. I mean, totally decimated. Remember that story? He turned to the Lord. He take, took the ones who were strong enough to keep going. They'd been hiking for at least three days. They go... To, to find this troop has to, who has taken away their families, their wives, their children, all their belongings. And they find this man in a field, an Egyptian slave. And what did they do? Did they, did they start an interrogation? Did they start waterboarding him, trying to get the information out of him? Torturing? No. What did they do? He just started feeding him, giving him water and food. The guy, he was so weak, he was almost dead. He couldn't even speak. He couldn't have even said, I hate you, I'm your enemy. Or, oh, I would love to serve you because my master. No, David was compassionate. He began to feed him. Give him water. David understood this. Guess what? That man turned to his side and served David in finding his enemies and bringing God's vengeance. God used him to bring vengeance upon them. So what does he mean by heaping burning coals on his head? I'm not sure, but I would say it has a lot to do with bringing shame upon those who treat us wickedly. And if they do not turn to God, it will be another witness of what God has done. Their unwillingness to turn to God. It will serve as a witness against them. So what's his point? What is Paul's point throughout this? 
Well, it's verse 21. It really is. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is what genuine love is about. Whether in the church or in the world. We are to overcome evil with good. You say, well, how do we do this? I mean, this is a really difficult task. This seems impossible. Well, it is. That's the good news. It's impossible with us. But we need the Lord. And I I think that we should look in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Because I think David's response here is the one we should be having. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. This is that story I was telling you about, Ziklag. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. That sounds like a desperate situation. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. They were gone. Just imagine if you were one of David's men. And and the the thing is, these men weren't all uh, godly men, right? They were outlaws. They were criminals. They were on the run with David. They weren't, they weren't amazing men. And so imagine these men who were outlaws all hanging out with, and they're like, now our children and our, our wives, our, everything we have is gone. Let's kill him. He's done. He's not worth following. You want to get strength? You want to have strength when the battle comes, when you don't want peace anymore? You want to have strength over the enemy? Do this. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. The world hates you because you follow your God, our Heavenly Father, as a son and a daughter of God. Well, turn to God. Because if we remember who our Father is, it won't matter what the world does. But we cannot find strength in ourselves to live like this. It is in Christ alone. It is in the work of God that we can return evil with good and overcome evil with good. David went to the Lord. He he didn't try to find strength in the kind words of someone. They were all against him. There was no one there that wanted to support what was going on. David went to the only place, the Lord his God. His God. Not not someone else, not his dad's God, not his his parents' God, not his grandparents' God, not, not his friends' God. Not his church's God. He went to the Lord his God. Should be the same thing. Right? But he had a relationship with the Lord such that when he needed strength, he didn't run to himself. He didn't try to hype himself up. Oh, you can do this. Yeah, you're, you're, you're big and strong. And No. He turned to the Lord. That's what he'd been doing his whole life. When he went to fight Goliath, did he, did he fight in his own strength? No. The way that he went to fight Goliath was ignorant. But he trusted in the Lord. Unlike grown men of battle, he trusted in the Lord. Psalm 31, if you'll turn there. Paul's response, or David's response... To adversity 
was not what most people do. Listen to this. In you, O Lord, have I taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed in your righteousness. Deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength and a stronghold to save me. Doesn't this sound like maybe this was the song that he wrote right there that day? For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. And to your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my afflictions. You have known the troubles of my soul. So instead of responding in anger, run to the Lord. Instead of responding in self-pity, oh my, I can't believe these people don't love me anymore. I can't believe that they did that to me. Oh, you should hear my story. Because those are the responses, right? When we suffer persecution, when people do evil things to us, those are our responses. Self-pity and anger. That wasn't David's response. He went to the Lord. Just listen. Be gracious to me, O Lord, verse 9. For I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief. What's he saying? I'm crying so much, my eye is pretty much gone. There's no, nothing there. My soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my body has wasted away. David understood his sinful nature. He didn't deny that. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach. That sounds like persecution. Especially to my neighbors. Oh, that sounds pretty close to home. And an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. Now that sounds like persecution. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many terrors on every side while they took counsel together against me. They schemed to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. What is he saying? The time of my life. If I die... I die because time is in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute you, me. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent and shale. Let the lying lips be mute and those which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence. From the conspiracies of man, you keep them secretly in the shelter from the strife of tongues. I mean, I can't think of a better illustration for what I've been preaching today. This is how we apply it. We run to the Lord. We don't run to ourselves. We don't run to the self-help books. We don't run to New Age 
Many are. We don't run to all that the world runs to. We run to Christ. We run to the Lord because He has redeemed us. He is sheltering us. If our life is taken, guess what? It's not the end. Because Romans 8 says, Neither life nor death shall separate us from the love of Christ. I believe we should think heavily on passages like Psalm 91, right? We know, we know this, this passage. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is He who delivered you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you, cover you with His pinions and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Look to God, not to man. I think Paul is getting at that. Remember, he he quotes, leave place, space, leave room for God's wrath. Let God take care of it. It's not in your hand to take vengeance. We are to seek to be at peace with all men. That doesn't mean giving up convictions. But we need to turn to the Lord. Stop turning to the Constitution of the United States of America. I know that's not popular to say something like that. But the Bible is our source. I'm thankful that our Constitution protects things that God protects. But one day it will not. It won't matter what the Constitution says. And we will have to turn back to the Lord. It's better to do it now. We may be protected now, but in time, it won't be anymore. Don't turn to political parties. Don't turn to a political leader. Don't turn to these men who cannot fix the problem. That doesn't mean we don't seek justice. But we, by God's grace, turn to Him. Lord, You can work these things. I am under the shadow of Your wings. Just listen to this promise. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense, recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. Is the Lord our dwelling place? Do we return to Him like we return to our home at the end of the day? Is He our dwelling place? I think that's the whole point of the blessing in Numbers Chapter 6. That's where I want to leave us. Because if you remember in verse in chapter 31, make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. Well, number six. What is it about the face of God? Number six, verse 24. This, the blessing that Aaron was to speak over the people of Israel. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. These are all the same thing said differently. When we are before the face of God, we will have peace. doesn't matter. Why? Because we're looking at truth, pure and holy. We're looking at Jesus Christ. The Lord is blessing you. Guess what? His face will be shining upon you. David understood that. There is nothing more blessed than to be in the presence of God. That's why Psalm 91 should shake us to our core when we don't desire His presence. Because when we're in His presence, these promises, these commands that Paul is giving are possible. Because we're doing it in the power of Christ, not trying to, oh Lord, I'm, I'm going to try to do this. No, He empowers us to love our enemies. To give food and drink to those that we know hate us. This is not... Of this world, it is of God. And if we are the sons of God, this should characterize us. And guess what? The sons of God want to spend time in His presence. They want Him to shine His face upon them. I want to be in the shadow of His wings. Because I know that if I'm in the shadow of His wings... Man can only do what God allows. If they take my life, so be it. My life is no consequence. It's only short. But eternity, that's a different story. They can't can't take Him away. Just because I die on this side with a Slight understanding of God's presence in my life. Guess what? I'll be in His presence forever if they take my life. And that should be us. We should seek to be at peace with all men. Overcoming evil with good. Showing the love of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus loved us when we were the enemies of God. Are you a son of God? Do you long for His presence to shine upon you? Do you long to be in His presence? If you do that, these commands that Paul are making that are impossible with man will be possible. Because it's done in the power of Christ. The work of the Spirit. You want to show genuine love to the world? Spend time in the presence of God. Because if His face is shining upon you, His reflection will shine on the world. Just like someone can look at one of my kids and say, Oh, that one looks like you. Why? Our kids study our facial expressions. There are people that I know, children of Fane and Leonard, that some of their kids do same expression. They'll be like, oh, that looks like Miss Granny Faye because what? We don't realize our kids are watching us and they learn to express themselves from us. Are we looking to the face of God to learn to express ourselves to the world? I pray we are. Because if we do, we will overcome evil 
with good. But we have to look to Christ. We have to look to God because we can't do it on our own. That's all I have. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would find joy, delight in your presence. Because the commands that Paul is giving to show genuine love to the world and everyone around us just are not possible with man. But with God, with His face shining upon us, His presence constantly with us, Lord, it is possible because You're working in us Your glory, a love for You. Lord, be with us today, this week. Help us to demonstrate Your love. Not only in the church, but outside the church. Oh, our world is broken and needy and hopeless. I pray, Lord, You would help us to meet the needs of those who hate You. Lord, to show them the love of Christ that was shown to us on the cross. Lord, make Your face to shine upon us. Bless us and keep us. Be gracious to us. Lift up Your countenance upon us and give us peace, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.